0: without revealing your face. What do you look like? Was the question posed to me. So I answered honestly and profoundly, in my opinion, I look like a fat poor man's version of Leonardo DiCaprio. Emphasis on the poor man's version. Welcome to tough crowd and happy new year. 2020 is in the rear view, everybody. I hope everyone's so excited for the budget cuts and the economic turmoil that stands before us. One thing that popped up in my feed this week I wanted to mention, it was, it's been 83 years. I'll read the notice. Beginning January 1st, 1937, your employer will be compelled by law to deduct a certain amount from your wages every payday. This is in compliance with the terms of the Social Security Act, sponsored and signed by President Roosevelt August 14th, 1935. The deduction begins with 1% and increases until it reaches 3%. There is no guarantee that the fund this collected will ever be returned to you. What happens to the money is up to each Congress. No benefits of any kind before 1942 will be paid out. This is not a voluntary plan. Your employer must make this deduction Regulations are published by the Social Security Board, Washington, D.C. That's all been peachy since, hasn't it, everybody? I'm fascinated still by people saying the phrase, I paid into this fund my whole life. And not like, no, you didn't. It was compelled by law. That means a machine gun is going to get pointed at your boss's neck at some point. (laughs) If he doesn't pay the money, if he doesn't collect it, the business will be shut down, his stuff will be taken from him or her. You didn't pay into anything. It was a tax taken from you. Anyway. <laughs> 83 years. And now even the self-security numbers, it's not even... They say stuff like, oh, half you pay half and your employer pays half. So it's not even all your money. Half of it's your employer's money. In a way, it should be take, done away. The payroll taxes, in my opinion, are the closest thing we have in the modern world... To slavery, like what's slavery? That's 100% ownership of your production. Your when you work, payroll taxes is like a 12%. Assuming that the half your employer pays is also for you, then that's a tax you are paying. Your employer is collecting. So yeah, wage taxes shouldn't exist. That's the closest thing we have to slavery. Here's an interesting thing from Oliver Anwar. He says, quote, I survived 2020, end quote. And then he says, that was tweeted from their MacBook Pro, sat in a five-bedroom house with plenty of food and water and heating. <laughs> That's true. It's been bad, but it's not been really bad yet. I think, I would, I would love to be wrong, but if it gets bad, it's going to be much worse than whatever you dealt with this year. There's a quote by Do- Todd Hoppigan, and before I mention it, uh, one thing that happened the last couple of weeks is the government decided to do another stimulus package because the last one worked so well that they need another one because, obviously, it works so well. <laughs> so they're going to spend $900 billion, the equivalent of a normal year's deficit, and like a tenth of that is going to be spent on citizens directly. Now, theoretically, if you're going to stimulate the economy, the least immoral thing to do is to send money to individuals. But no, we're going to send just a little bit to the individuals and then a whole bunch of other garbage to do bribes so people who supported certain senators and representatives campaigns can get paid so they can pay this camp, the senators and the representatives. You know, all that stuff, that happened no matter what. And then the Congress and the Senate argued over whether or not to send $2,000 to individuals or $600 to individuals, or some number in between. <sighs> like I'm laying in bed, and the government said, your 600 bucks is on the counter. Thanks a lot. So... With that preamble, Todd Hoppigan said this $2,000 check proposal will cost about $600 billion. There are 143 million taxpayers. That means it will cost the average taxpayer over $4,000 in order for them to get a $2,000 stimulus check. (laughs) Oh, Todd, injecting math and reason into an irrational government activity. God bless him. Here's another one. If the stimulus check is exactly $2,000, I'll cash it. If it's made out of If it's made out for $2,020, that thing's going on a commemorative plate. (laughs) How can you cash a stimulus check that said 2020 on it? You'd have to keep it laminated or something. (laughs) All right. This will spark debates about inflation. And as far as I understand it, you won't see a ton of inflation immediately. It takes a few months or years sometimes. And... In our modern world, the inflation goes into certain government-protected, cartelized industries: healthcare, housing, uh, business loans. You know, this banking. the The inflation goes to certain spots. You don't see a cheeseburger spike up triple, like overnight. At least, not yet. And part of that is because the productivity of the economy is being held down. You inject a whole bunch of extra dollars and the productivity is up, then yeah, the the velocity of money will uh, cause upward pressure on the uh, prices of goods and services. So we don't have that yet because a lot of cities are being told to stay home because of the virus and and their idiotic governors. Anyway, that's kind of fun. But I just made this little point on... (laughs) A little debate thread that was on one of the platforms. I said, "Hey, Gatorade ounces. A Gatorade bottle is 32 ounces in on one year, and then the next year it's 28 ounces, a 14 percent reduction in volume, but the stores charge the same price." When you ask, when you try to explain this to the average voter, what does the average voter say? Uh, they say, "Well, what's an ounce? <laughs> we don't deal in ounces. We use the imperial system." So, anyway, that's fun. And we have that to look forward to. All right, hash, or at Stay Off The Road said hospital capacity in December 2020 is at 90%. Do you know what it was in December of 2019, a year earlier? <laughs> 89%. So, we're just spending our hospital capacity on this thing instead of other things. I wonder why the hospital capacity wouldn't go to 100%. Anyway. <laughs> I hate to say it because I did have a family friend die of the COVID this last week. Uh, a doctor in the, uh, the county where I live. So it's, it's not not real. Did I do that right? <laughs> it's not a fake thing. But how we're handling it, he was over 70. I had conditions. So anyway, my, my, I currently think the same thing I thought for a few months is that the vaccines and stuff probably aren't going to matter. Everyone before the virus is figured out will probably have to deal with this virus. So get healthy, do what you can to to stay safe. Here's one from Car Camp. He said the average age of death from COVID is higher than... Life expectancy in the United States. Yeah, that shouldn't surprise anyone. It, like the fact that people are running around all paranoid is sad. It is it's targeting the elderly and the infirm. And yeah, if that number was below life expectancy, we'd have we'd have a lot more middle aged and youth passing away. Than that. So it's not as scary as it could be. But it's still something that if you're elderly or, you have, or you're infirm in any way, you've you got to do what you can to be as healthy as possible when you have your turn. Here's another one from at Actually. He said, I'm reading this bill, and can I just say I am so glad that $89.6 million is going towards maintenance and furniture for the Senate office buildings. Oh, isn't that Great. And another campaign donor gets paid All right Thomas Massey He had one this last couple weeks He says Reminder The House has a rule To give everyone 72 hours To read the bills Every Democrat in the House Voted to suspend that rule And that's why we're voting On a 5,500 plus page bill Tonight With less than 8 hours to read it (laughs) Yeah Because when there are rulers There are no rules That's for someone else to live I bet some of the Republicans voted to suspend it too. Because this is one of the, the big corruptions of the government legislating body. They exist to get elected. And it's illegal to just steal from this treasury. So the people that support them need to get paid by the largesse of the government on their on these appropriation bills. And then those people that support them give the kickbacks or pay for speeches or do whatever they can to legally redistribute money to that House representative or... Senator. So, yeah, if there's some arbitrary rule that says, oh, we have to wait 72 hours to pass an emergency bill. No, this is an emergency theft uh, legislation. So we're going to just vote to override the rule. (laughs) we (laughs) We don't have principles. We just have incentives. All right. Here's one from Gina Bontempo. She said, it takes a special type of person to wear a mask While driving in the car alone. (laughs) I think it does. Hopefully it's just a forgetful person and not a different special type. like Protecting the rest of the car from those viruses that will die in a few hours. Anyway. (laughs) Another few great quotes that popped up this week. Bradley Thomas said, As a society advances towards socialism... More and more people's jobs and income are determined by the ruling class. The result is that more effort is directed toward lobbying the government for favors rather than creating value for customers in the market. That's obviously true. If we were in a a free market, a voluntary economy, who would waste a dime on lobbying? Why would you even do that? Because the governor would say, yeah, we don't do that. Have a nice day. Go work. Shut the door in your face. I'm, I'm protecting the people from mayhem. I don't have time to add mayhem, giving you a special license and a privilege so you can steal from your customers at the expense of everyone else. But yeah, as, when socialism, the, the government, the, the community owning the means of production, the closer we get to that, yeah, it's more profitable to lobby than it is to research and develop better and cheaper products. Why would you do that? Lobby the government, you can get an $89 million check to redo some offices. That's way better. Less moral, evil, actually, but easier. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes what's right is hard and what's bad, what's wrong is easy. That's the easy way. For those of you who are believers, that's the devil's way, isn't it? Just. Just do what's easy. Do what feels good. Yeah. And if you have to steal from someone else to do it, why not? Especially if the government that claims moral authority is stealing for you. That's way better. Uh, It almost feels like you're doing what's best for the whole world to steal $89 million from the taxpayer to redo some desks and chairs. All right, here's one from Alice Smith. Once you understand Nietzsche's observation that madness is the exception with individuals, but the rule with groups, everything about identity politics is explained. Madness. I'm getting less and less patient with people who do identity politics. I'm like, oh, you're, you're a white person, so you have to vote this way. And you're a black person, so you have to vote this way. And you're a Latino, so you should vote this way. Like, no. Every individual can make their own decision regardless of what dna or cultural background says they should be voting for that's that's ridiculous so the yeah the whole identity politics it's just in my opinion an extension of collectivism like oh or collect the collective should move this way and individuals are meaningless because the collective is what matters Which means, if the collective is what matters, then madness will rule the day, essentially. Another one from Bradley Thomas. He said, the average human being is far more likely to commit heinous acts against others in the name of obedience to authority than he he is to do so on his own accord. The superstitious belief in state authority kills. Superstitious belief. It is. It's like a religion. And look back, like, how many people, have you ever done this, gone through this thought exercise? All right, let's say the Nazis are taking over, it's getting horrible. And you, what do you do? You, you try to survive. You join the Nazi party, you become a soldier, now you're at, at uh, Auschwitz or uh, Dachau or one of these camps. And it's on you to order, in an orderly fashion, murder those who are disobeying. could you do it? Because like it gets down to it, you do what the state says or they murder you. I like to think I would resist the state, the collective, the group, the madness-fueled tyranny of the majority. But I don't, we don't know until we, we get there. But yeah, with groups, it's madness. Think about that. It is if you were there and you're the you're the camp guard, you're not gonna you're gonna murder way more people because you were ordered to do so by your commanding officer than anyone would ever. Even a murderer could you even could you kill tens of thousands of people out in the world on your own accord? Like even a killer would be like that's that's a lot of mur- that's a lot of bodies. That's that's no fun. That feels like work, I'm guessing. But in the name of the state, being commanded by your superior officer, 10,000 bodies it is. Because if you don't do it, you'll be laid right next to them. At least we haven't put government in charge of too many things. (laughs) It's going to be fine. Or at least maybe we did put in charge of too many things, but we have a representative democracy because those rules that we put on Congress, they'll totally live them unless they vote to suspend them. We're fine. Not a problem. And almost no one is dependent on the government for a check or a a paycheck, a pension or a welfare subsidy or a a contract to do something. No one is. It's going to be fine. All right. The authority of the state. All right, here's another one. Actually, it's just a note. I tell a story. When I was in college, I was born and bred to be a Republican. i i a third-generation family business owner. So, yeah, we, the, the state is just an... In that scenario, the state is, uh, on the one hand, an obstacle to doing what's right for your customers, and on the other hand, it, it, it can offer some subsidy to keep the business going, In, any business, not ours, ours particularly. So I was born and bred to be a Republican, and I watched a debate with the, the Democrats, the Republicans, and the Libertarians. And I did so because my roommate was on the Libertarian panel. I'd never even processed what a Libertarian was. And it was an interesting... Thing to witness because I knew a little bit about inflation. I was a little bit of an economics nerd at the time, and I was a business student. And so to hear the two Democrats on the panel <laughs> to talk, uh, like the one I remember this. The one was kind of he was a good debater, very intelligent human, and just uh, like well, the expedient policy would be this and this and this. And that would be the best for the most people, and, and using examples like the. The dad and the train switch. I hope you've heard that. If not, then the old story in the philosophy class is that there's a little boy walking along the, the train tracks to go see his dad, who's a a worker on the railroad. And the dad sees him, but then he sees the train coming full full of passengers. And the dad gets to decide, do I, do I leave the train on its path at its pace? If I switch its path, it'll derail the train and kill everyone on there, but it would save my son. But if I leave the train running true, it'll kill my boy. And he he makes the decision for what quote the greater good. So those kind of examples are what this one Democrat in that debate are, are using. I guess uh, fairly compelling. The other guy was just like, the poor this and the poor that, and they need so much help. The poor, the poor, the poor. It was almost purely irrational. Like he just like we just had we just had to steal a bunch of money from people who had it and throw it at the poor because they were so inept and destitute and incapable. We had to, had to, had to. It was just so syrupy. And so I'm, I'm watching this debate and and the Republicans had an interesting line and then the, my friend and his libertarian colleague, they said, well, you Republicans, you actually campaign like us, but you govern like them. You govern like the Democrats. You don't reduce the size of government. You increase it. You, you create all these special favors, blah, blah, blah. You know, made a big list. And... At the end, you know, so it was just an interesting. Opened my eyes a little bit to what what political philosophies are out there, and I heard the Democrats. It was actually the, the sharper one, the smarter, one, not the hysterical child, but the the smarter one says, "Well, these rich people out there, they're hoarding their money, and that causes inflation." So at the end of the debate, I had a question for the Democrats, and I said, "Look." I don't know a lot about inflation, but if a certain person or a group of people out there are hoarding dollars, that means there are fewer of them out in the market. So the, the the value for the dollar goes up, which means the prices for goods and services would go down. Can you explain further what you meant by that? Because it's like what you said sounds opposite of what I've read and heard. And then the, the, the kid just kind of hemmed and hawed for a second. He said, well, we don't, I don't really have a position on inflation or, or, or a policy on it. And my friend, the libertarian, I almost set him up. He, he says, I just, just just write it down. No Democrat has a plan for inflation. They all, they just, they just make more money. Um, it's it kind of interesting how people just throw out these words without And people don't call them on it. It happens on the national stage. They don't usually take questions after from the audience in such a fashion. But yeah, that's inflation is made in Washington, not by businesses hoarding money. That's, that's that's insane. It's made by printing and borrowing and borrowing it into existence out of a computer and just, just, just creating money out of thin air. The banks can do it too. Like what's a credit card? There's no money that exists when you have your credit card, but when you spend it, now there's money in circulation that didn't exist before and it's accounted for at the bank. But that's, that's just uh it's inflating of the currency. So does that immediately cause increased prices for products and services? Not to my understanding, it takes a while. Like look at the inflation of the seventies. Yes, there was perpetual printing of the money in the 70s, but that started in the 60s. The welfare state in the 1966 or 65, whenever they installed that thing, cost so much money. And then they abandoned the... And it it was just busting the government at the seams to be tied to gold at all. And so in 1971, Richard Nixon, everyone's favorite Republican took the US off the gold standard and and abandoned the Bretton Woods system which was tied to all the currencies of the western world then you had the inflation over, it took a few months uh, like and then to the mid 70s now it's a problem but it takes it, it takes a few years few, a few months to a few years to get that effect but all it is again my understanding is supply and demand applied to the money you have a greater supply of something and the demand stays constant, the price will go up. All right. Sorry. It's the other way for, for money. There's a greater supply of money and the demand stayed constant. So the price of each individual dollar will go down. That's a, that's the correct way to say it. Here's a great quote from Thomas Sowell. When the people want the impossible, only liars can satisfy, and they'll suspend the rules to get there. <laughs> so there's another just story time. I watched, well, I rewatched Top Gun with my boys, and it was an amusing thing. They fell asleep, and so I, I watched by myself and left my own. And I know the movie in and out because I've seen it my whole life on and off and on this particular run through I noticed something about Tom Cruise's character and Kelly McGillis's character if you've not seen the movie it's been around for 25 plus years so I'm gonna spoil it here for you (laughs) but early on in the movie Tom Cruise's character Maverick he sees Kelly McGillis's character and goes full on I mean, butchering a righteous brother's song in the process. You've lost that love and feeling. Sings into her, sings to her in front of everyone at the bar. You know, trying to, you know, get carnal knowledge on the premises to win his bet. But also, he liked her. It didn't work. And then, what does his character do? He, no, you know, he interacted with that Mig early, early in the movie, at the first scene of the movie. And Kelly McGillis' character is a private contractor who researches things like that and then teaches at the flight school. And so she says to him, I'd like to hear about the MiG sometime, which is a little bit cute and flirty. And what does Tom say? Does he keep going full blast? What does he say? Well, you have security clearance. You can read about it. And then he leaves. Emphasizing something I have heard several times in my life. Distance is pursuit. That's true with men and women in in our little stupid game we play to mate up. But it's also true in business and in negotiations if you're if you're so if you're up front and forward and in their face and make a decision like people will naturally resist. But if you have your distance and your posture that distance equals pursuit. And maybe it's that way in jets too. If you're up close and just trying to be aggressive, you might not get your target. If you if you have Distance and you're in control, you might shoot down the other plane, so to speak. So, Tom Cruise's character backed off. And then later on, she even comes out and invites him to dinner at her place, huh? And he goes there, they have a good time talking and relaxing, and then he says, I'm going to take a shower. And. Her countenance changes when instead of hearing a shower turn on, she hears a motorcycle turn on, and she just kind of lays down on the bed like. Ugh. But what was what was what was Maverick doing? He was giving his distance. Distance equals pursuit. And if you do that right, then you'll be able to land your plane on the flight deck. All right. <laughs> so it's been a weird two weeks, and that was just a, a fun thing to point out. Um, we're sales class and <laughs> Top Gun interact interchange all right here's a great quote by ricky gervais he says laugh at whatever you find funny don't laugh at things that you don't find funny it's really simple there is no argument and it's true goes back to that thing I, i i say repeatedly to people being offended is a choice your brain is one of the most powerful things on this planet. And if you didn't hear the person say that meany word th- phrase, you wouldn't have felt the naughty emotions. But you did. And then, and then you, you feel bad. But your brain did that. Not the person's words. Your brain did that. It's a choice. sooner you realize that, life will get so much better. Like I'm so offended at what he wrote. Why? Even if he or she was trying to offend you, why would you spend the emotion... On that, it's because you think that you can't control your emotions, and you're wrong. Your brain is very powerful. The phrase "Okay, whatever," can solve lots of your problems. Being offended is a choice. All right, here's a <laughs> probably someone from Poland. I don't know who it is. Jakub Baziar Wis- uh, Wisniewski. Anyway, great quote. He says. The surest way to improve society is to become a great man or woman and lead, oneself, and, and lead others and convince them to do likewise. I believe that. It, the, the longer I live, I, I believe that. You can't solve society's problems with legislation. All you can do is make it worse over time. You can't solve society's problems by putting people in jail. For doing a victimless crime. You can't. What you can do is inspire people. And convince them to solve their own damn problems. Become a great man. Become a great woman. Become a leader. Become independent financially and emotionally. And then inspire others to do likewise. Society is going to be improved by individuals making better choices and better decisions. Not by some legislation that was passed after they suspended rules to... Limit how much they can do for legislation. Flows right into a quote I I want to use from Milton Friedman. He said, governments never learn. Only people can learn. Governments as a group just grow. They they have their incentives. Public choice economy. Politicians have the incentive to get elected and get themselves paid. Bureaucrats have an incentive to get as big of a pension and, and salary package as they can find at your expense. And voters have an incentive to put their team in power. And, and then they have this delusion that we're going to solve some problem with those three groups interacting in an insane, madness-fueled way. Only people learn. Governments cannot. It's just a strange group that we've, that's an arbitrary thing. right. Alice Smith said, if appeal to authority is a logical fallacy, then the state is inherently illogical. Of course. If the government were logical, you wouldn't need a law. You wouldn't need a gun to force a thing. You just use logic. You'd, You'd be persuasive. Like, this is the thing we should do. And everyone would say, wow, your argument is so beautiful. And your logic is so sound. And the results of your invective is are are so obvious we will all do that but if that doesn't work you pull the gun out say do it as I say the state is inherently illogical all right so here's one from Murray Rothbard quote whenever someone starts talking about fair competition or indeed about fairness in general it's time to keep a sharp eye on your wallet for it is about to be picked. Very true. There's one from Jerry D'Antonio. When did liberty become a fringe radical idea? It seems like it was once mainstream. So my response to that is, well, when did authoritarians become hip? Mencken was right. (laughs) Americans get what they deserve. Good and hard. Interesting dichotomy by Bradley Thomas. He said, This quote, corporations should pay more taxes. And then another quote, corporations should pay their workers more. And he said, You know what? You can't have both. You have to pick one. Also on that line, uh, an old quote by Antonio Grimesci. He's a founding Communist Party member in Italy. So I'm sure I butchered his name. I'm sorry for that. But. His quote is rather interesting. He says, Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the New Order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. It's hard to say that doesn't happen. It is kind of the choice, isn't it? It's like if you... There's there's a God-shaped hole in people's hearts when they... They don't think there's a, a deity of any sort. What is that usually filled with? Hopefully, it's filled with philosophy and morality and a a, a, a desire to, to 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 serve at least your kin and maybe humanity by extension with whatever you can do while you're here before you go back to dust. If you don't believe in a deity, but that's not how it happens. Most people, not as not Most most non-believers, uh, it's the vast majority, turn to the government as their deity. They believe the state can solve all of societal ills and should be given all kinds of power to try to do so. So if, if you don't believe in a God, that's fine. I still love you. But let's not pretend like the state is anything but uh, j- just brute force to try to solve the problem. And it will eventually make it worse. If you are a believer... Think about how the devil can rule in this realm. Like the, that old idea from the Bible is that the devil is the God of this world. Well, how does he govern his kingdom? It's with state power. So when you use the government for the believers out there, we're playing in the devil's sandbox. And if you're non-believers... Just to study what government is and what it should and should not do. And trying to solve societal ills will only make them worse. All right. Um, <laughs> on that socialism note, Bradley Thomas gives us another quote for the week. He says, there was a very high degree of economic equality in the gulags. <laughs> yes, there was. Everyone had the same amount of destitution. Alright, so I'm going to close this week out. Thanks. I had a lot to jam in because it's been a couple weeks. I took the Christmas week off in uh, compiling notes and and setting aside time to broadcast. So that was fun. It was kind of a whirlwind uh, production. Thanks for tuning in. But this one is a great way to close it. A bully. And I've written about bullies in my book. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Absorb the Arrow. But anyway, it's more for teenagers and young adults. But anyone can get benefit and uh, learn from that. But... So apparently there was a bully, teenage, a teenagers, you know, the bully and the target and the bully made fun of the, uh, the, the Mark by saying he's a virgin, how sad. And, and like the, just teased him for that. So what did the Mark do? What did the victim of bullying do? <laughs> he had sex with the bully's girlfriend and the bully's sister. And the bully's mother. (laughs) I'm not the first one to think or say it, but this is the way. (laughs) I'm Brett Blackham. You're listening to Tough Crowd. Let's make it a great year, y'all. Welcome to Tough Crowd, a podcast dedicated to jokes philosophy, and current events. The purpose, obviously, is to entertain, educate, persuade, and above all, to give an outlet for the voices in the host's head to have their messages heard. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Pay attention at all you know that the united states economy is basically a house of cards waiting for a stiff breeze to knock it down most advisors recommend hedging against this volatility by investing in the three main precious metals gold silver and bullets now the bullets you'll have to find on your own but to move a portion of your retirement into precious metals i recommend birch gold group whether you just want to learn or you're ready to invest, please visit birchgold.com forward slash Brett, or go to my website, brettblackham.com, and click the Birch Gold button. Then, when those wins come, you'll be prepared.